Well, it was 1998, we were at Helensvale Baptist Church up on the Gold Coast, and we were doing this sort of Wednesday night sort of theology course with our pastor, Tim Myers. One day we turned up and he was really stressed because the next day or that weekend he had to fly to Newcastle and run a seminar with this group that had invited him on postmodernism. And he says, I don't know anything. You know, he just felt, he probably, he, no, he, he did know stuff, but he felt totally unprepared and totally like, what have they asked me for? What have I volunteered for? Postmodernism, back in 1998, it was one of these big buzzwords that was going around Christian circles. You know, this philosophical movement we all need to understand and know how to respond to as Christians. And part of me is like, postmodernism, philosophy, it's like yawn. Intellectuals sitting in ivory towers talking about fancy ideas, writing not books and articles that are completely indecipherable to the average person. So far from the real world of experience that we live in. Postmodernism. It's a philosophy that really came into being in the 80s and 90s. Particularly two big French philosophers, Jacques Derrida and Michael Foucault, I've pronounced that all wrong. And it was a rejection, post, it's, it's in the name, it was a rejection of what they called modernism. What's modernism? Oh, I know you're interested. Modernism's that sense that everything's based upon rationalism and empiricism, what we can think and what we can experience and know, therefore, through those things. And so with modernism, we can understand the world. All we need to do is break down all the various components of our experience down to the little, little bits and understand those little bits. Everything's reduced and becomes mechanistic and then we can work out what's right and wrong. Then we can work out what's true and false. Ultimately, the world we live in and the experiences we have can all be tied down and understood and known and contained. And we can say in all sorts of spheres, this is truth. That's modernism, in a nutshell, from a non-philosopher. And what we end up doing, because of that, because the world's an incredibly complex place, in every sphere we end up relying upon experts, high priests, the high priests of religion, the high priests of economics, the high priests of science, the high priests of morals, the high priests of government, the high priests we call English professors. So how do we understand Macbeth when Shakespeare wrote Macbeth? Well, the English professor tells us what all the various bits mean and how we're to interpret Macbeth. We have these overarching stories. Now, there may be different overarching stories that people adhere to, but we have these what they call meta-narratives, these big stories that shape and contain our world, whether it be Marxism or Christianity or logical positivism, the, the pursuit of continual growth and improvement. Or Buddhism, a story that helps us understand all the various components and parts. Materialistic naturalism, there was a Big Bang, there's just matter, there's a closed universe, everything's just materialistic and naturalistic. A big story. It helps us understand things. And so we end up in and under modernism with these big stories and every, all these experts as an edifice. This is how the world works. This is how the world is. 
this big structure. Postmodernism came because they said, that's cronk. That's cronk. Everything is a social construct. You in community, you just these communities, they build these constructs. So the postmodernists were saying, let's deconstruct all this and not let these big edifices confine us and control us. And, and they had a good point. And so they started to challenge objectivity. Everything you process in the world is just from your perspective. And who says that there's objectivity? They began to challenge morality. Who says that's right and that's wrong? Even to challenge truth. How do you know that's truth? They challenge science. They challenge language. And they put, postmodernists put the individual at the centre of experience and knowledge so that everything becomes relative to the individual. And so you can create your own truth because let's face it, where does the truth reside but with me? And there is no overarching story. There's just my story because that's the only one that I live. And truth, if we want to understand truth, well, then we, we understand truth through our, from our perspectives, through our filters. So let's say one of, the thing, one of the big stories I might embrace to some measure is feminism. Suddenly the whole world, I see throughout the whole world, this, the patriarchy just controls the world. Men and power control everything about the world and women are subject and follow that and that's, that's not right. And so... I start to say, I'm looking at everything now through this lens because this is my perspective. And so when I read Shakespeare, I read it from a feminist perspective. And suddenly I see the witches aren't bad at all. And Lady Macbeth, is, she's the hero. She kind of becomes the protagonist. And she's being oppressed by Macbeth, who's this evil patriarchal man who's distorting and twisting things for his own power to control power. And look at Lady Macbeth stuck in the middle of everything. And I have a feminist reading of Macbeth rather than seeing a story about manipulation and control and power that perhaps Shakespeare wanted to originally write. But that's okay because I can choose my own filter, my own way of interpreting the world. And so under this structure we actually form faculties in universities for feminist studies where we write articles and discuss with one another and debate about looking at the world from a fem... Actually, we can't call them feminist studies... That's a bit sexist. Let's call them gender studies faculties. And gender studies faculties end up with these postmodern ideas. Actually, gender's relative. Gender's fluid. Gender's whatever I choose it to be. And actually, let me change the pronouns because I don't like being called he or she, so I want to be called they and them. And this is happening. This is postmodernism where everything becomes me and my filter and my processing, so I am now they and them. And how dare you call me she or he, because that's not my gender choice. You see, 20 years ago I was hearing Tim Myers stressing about postmodernism. 20 years later, the chickens have come home to roost. We're reaping the harvest we have sown. Philosophy is not some ivory tower thing. When an idea takes hold, and they often take holds in our universities, universities, when an idea takes hold, the ideas are incredibly powerful. And it's filtered down, and now we're living in the world so impacted by postmodernism. What is truth? That's a big question today. We live in the era of fake news. 
of gender choice. What is truth? X and Y chromosomes don't matter anymore. Only what I think. And I insist you must conform to what I think. And we use language and we distort and contort language to make my truth right. The great narratives, particularly the Christian narrative, is constantly displaced. And data is used and abused or just plain ignored when it doesn't fit what I'm feeling, when it doesn't fit my truth. And individuals and their feeling become the big thing and offence that gets taken is so important. You can't offend me because that's upsetting my truth. And it frame, we all frame the world we want and the people with the loudest voice have the loudest voice in framing my truth. The big question, what is truth? What is reality? What is the foundation of existence? Is the greatest truth something that I shape? Because I'm living in this experience, this is me. You can understand that, can't you? That's the greatest truth. Or is the greatest truth external to me? Is real absolute reality external to me in something that we can experience and that actually ends up being controlled by the powers and authorities, the high priests of society that we trust because we can't understand everything? Or, or is actually truth beyond even that? Absolute truth. Is truth transcendent of our world and our experience? For the Christian, we choose the third. We accept the third option. Truth is transcendent. It's above this world. The Bible says that truth is found in the ultimate reality, which is the creator, God. The one who sustains everything. The sovereign king of, cosmo, of the cosmos, of space and time, and even things beyond space and time. Existence, experience, matter, emotions, thought, music, are all subject to this eternal God who is all truth, ultimate truth. You see, the very notion of positing God if there is a God, then God is truth. His eternal reality and rule is the ultimate reality. And there are no external standards that we can use to evaluate God's reality because he is over all. What God must do is he must reveal himself or herself or itself to us if we are to comprehend absolute truth. God must speak. God must make himself known. As for the Christian, this truth goes even deeper than that. We're in this series, The Greatest Gift, John's Passion, Jesus' Passion from John's Gospel. God, we believe, the Bible teaches, has spoken. His word has been revealed. Not only in creation, not only in human beings who are made in his image, who reflect his nature, but most powerfully in the person of his son. God has taken on human flesh. He has come to us clothed in humanity. The Son of God reveals ultimate truth. 
John actually starts his gospel like this. In the beginning was the Word, the revelation of God. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, this creative Word. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Here is absolute truth. We go over to verse 14 of this prologue. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Well, at the moment, we're on a series on the passion. Jesus is heading towards the cross, his crucifixion. Surely this is not about truth, this is about salvation, this is about atonement, if you want to use that word. What's this got to do with notions of ultimate reality? Or perhaps is it, as Jesus faces the cross, as he is on trial, we are faced with that question we always encounter in the Gospels. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? And is he deserving of death? Why is he dying? We're plunged in these questions into a consideration of ultimate reality and the nature of truth. And we discover, I think, that the cross is really actually all about ultimate truth and reality for us human beings. And everything hangs on the question, who is Jesus? And how do we respond to him? The external authorities of modernism the Bible would say, the internal feelings and authority and choices of postmodernism, they all cave before his supremacy. He is, the Bible says, the one true king. That's a long introduction before we get into the passage, but I'm hoping you're seeing this is a big question, big issues. Jesus is on trial before Jewish leaders and they declare him guilty they send him off to keep their hands clean they send him off to the Roman governor named Pontius Pilate and I can't help thinking as I look at this passage that the Jewish authorities are thoroughgoing modernists they have very clear social structures they're at the top of the tree they understand the narrative that guides society they control the narrative they have power. They are literally the high priests. I say, surely, modernism is very all about truth. Surely they're for truth. Surely the high priests are on the side of truth. The Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, that is the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. It was the time of the Passover celebration. They had a very clear understanding of right and wrong, of what's true and what's untrue, and their place before God. And so they stay outside because they will not enter the house of a Gentile, a non-Jew. We are the high priests. This is the right, true behaviour. This is morality at its best. In truth, they are hypocrites. 
They are deceived and deceiving. Jesus said of them before that they are whitewashed tombs, all painted beautifully white on the outside, but inside they're black and dead. Jesus said they are blind guides, leading people nowhere. He said, you strain a gnat. Oh, there's a gnat in my soup. And then you swallow a camel. They refused to enter the Gentiles' house, all the while having unjustly arrested an innocent man and they want him dead. They're deceived and they're deceivers. Why? So Pilate came out to them and asked that question, what charges are you bringing against this man? What's he here for? If he were not a criminal, literally, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have handed him over to you. They don't answer the question. Trust us, we know what we're doing. It's a lot harder for them to say, why are we handing him over to you? Well, actually, it's vengeful insecurity and a fear of exposure by this man. So they say his works are evil. He's a criminal. Which is absolutely so wrong. That's absolutely a lie. This is the righteous one. This man has done no evil. There's no charge other than vengeful insecurity and fear of exposure. And Pilate wants none of it. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfil what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So, you know, here we have, they're exposed. They want Jesus dead. That's all that matters. Let Rome kill him. Because Rome will crucify, and as Deuteronomy says, Cursed is every man who is hung on a tree. They want him cursed. They are deceivers. They are lost in their sin. And they are self-deceived. They don't even see it. So deceived are they. They bring the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the hope of the Jewish nation, the Saviour of the world, to be executed. All the while wrapped up in their self-righteousness. Deception, falsehood, hypocrisy, injustice, power games that serve their own interests, everything ugly and evil about religion and self-serving abuse of power. That's what these men are. John says in his prologue, in that bit we looked at earlier, verses, other verses, the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. Hallelujah. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In fact, they sought to kill him. They are blinded by the truth. They are lost in their sin. They are children of the father of lies, the devil. And they're not alone because many join them deceiving and being deceived Rejecting Jesus, and as we reject Jesus with his threat upon our mastery and vengeful insecurity, they seek to crush and silence and crucify the Son of God all over again. 
The Apostle Paul says, the God of this age, the father of lies, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of the Messiah who is the image of God. But you know, you cannot escape ultimate reality. Try as you might, the truth will out because it's ultimate reality, it's truth. The scene moves on. Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and he asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? We see just a week earlier, Jesus came into Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem, they took palm branches, they went out to meet him, they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. They're shouting. Jesus found a young donkey. Jesus is not rejecting this and he sat on it as it's written by in Zephaniah. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. It's a fair question, Herod asks. He's heard the noise, probably from the Jewish leaders. But is Jesus a political threat? One thing's for sure from history we know Pilate is an insecure bully. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me, says Jesus? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people, chief priests, handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Come on, let's get to the chase. What's all this about, this Jewish nonsense? It's early in the morning, for goodness sakes. So Jesus cuts to the chase. He cuts to the absolute chase. He speaks the truth. Yes, he is a king, but not the sort of king Pilate would imagine. He's not an earthly king, but the king of another realm. He is a transcendent king, the ultimate king, the one true king. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But hey, look at me. But now my kingdom is from another place. So there's no threat, Pilate, to you. But I am the transcendent king. Do you understand, Pilate? You, you are a king then, said Pilate. Perhaps nervously, perhaps threateningly. And Jesus just keeps telling him the truth. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born to be a king. The only mention of the birth of Jesus in John's Gospel. For this reason I was born and came into the world as a king to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says to Pontius, unlike you, Pontius Pilate, I was born a king. And my mission is to testify to the truth. I am the one true king. I am the king of truth, the sovereign of truth. And my subjects, well, they are those who are on the side of truth. And they listen to me. And they obey me because I'm the king. Are you listening, Pilate? 
Now, don't misunderstand this. Jesus is speaking of truth with a big capital T. Big truth, God's truth, ultimate truth, great I am truth, the ground of being truth, what is the world all about truth. No bigger truth, says Jesus. There is no bigger truth than myself, for I am the king of truth. I am the fullest revelation of God who is truth. The God who is creator. John chapter 1, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is both the revelation of God and the way of reconciliation with God. He is both message and messenger of truth, absolute truth. You say that I'm a king. This is why I was born. This is why I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I'm revealing the very God to you. We're in deep waters, Pilate. Because there is life in me and me alone. I am the one true king. And those who are subjects to the subject to the father of lies, they resist me, they oppose me. See, Jesus is on trial before Pilate, but in truth, Pilate now stands on trial before Jesus, the King of Truth. Pilate thinks he holds Jesus' hand, life in his hands. Jesus says, "No, Pilate, I'm holding your life in my hands." just as he holds your and my life in his hands. He came into the world to testify to the truth with a big T, absolute truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me because he is the truth. He's the king of truth. How do we respond? Are we listening? Are we obeying? What do you say, Pilate? You who is the Roman government, you who represents Caesar... Who am I? Am I a king? Am I the king of truth? Am I the one true king who is above, over and above every other rule? After Jesus' resurrection, when we get to the church, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He writes about the glory of the cross that Jesus is about to face. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, this is the truth. Rather, he became, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Here's the truth. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth in all created realms and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is fundamental reality. That is the ground of being. That is existence. That is experience. That is emotion. That is music. That is everything. The King of Truth, with a capital T, said like this. It's as simple as this. Jesus is Lord. So we're all left with a choice. Do we side with the father of lies, with the one who is deceiving and deceived? Do we imagine that we have divinity in ourself and that we can create reality? Or that we find divinity in absolutes in social structures and other meta-narratives, whether it be our status, to find our status, or whether it be religion? Or do we submit to Jesus, who says, I am the absolute king of grace and truth? Pilate, well, he seems like he's consumed by pride and privilege and history would tell us that from other records. Pilate makes his choice, the choice that so many make. You see, there really is nothing new about postmodernism. It's at least 2,000 years old because Pilate makes his choice and he proves himself to be a thoroughgoing postmodernist. What is truth? retorted Pilate. Just leave truth with me. Stop talking your nonsense about absolutes. With this he went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. I'm the king here. I can shape reality. I'm the final arbiter. I'm the centre of existence and reality. The problem Pilate has is it doesn't work. He tries to make a deal to deal with this issue and it kind of fails. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Perhaps he says mockingly, but I think making a genuine offer. I don't want to execute this man. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising Different phrases in different Gospels. Let you literally hear robber, murderer, insurgent. Barabbas was a bad guy. Barabbas was an evil doer. What wonderful irony. The man who is clearly an evil doer is set free while the righteous one the Son of God, the King of Truth, is condemned to die in his place. They accept the lie. Set the guilty free, condemn the innocent. And the devil, the father of lies, I imagine, is rubbing his hands together. But Satan is both a deceiver and deceived. Jesus, the one true king, offers the greatest gift. 
And that is his glory. He saves his people from their sins. He saves people like Barabbas by dying in their place. He's overthrowing the devil's power by grace and truth. The one true king is preparing, as Philippians said, to ascend his throne as God exalts him to the highest place because he humbled himself to save his people. Love and sacrifice is displacing lies and deception. This is the way of absolute truth. So the question of truth, a question that is massive in our day and age, because everyone's wondering what's true. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, this is just a simple statement of logic. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, he is the one true king to whom all must give an account and to whom all will be subject. We must listen and obey, for he is the truth, absolute. So we face a choice every day. Are we going to take our absolutes from society, from the structures of society, from the experts, from the knowledge base, and the assurance that they offer us, although they often, often, often fail and let us down, and the bits don't always hold together, and they don't offer life? Or will we, as the postmodernists, and I can understand the postmodernist movement, will we make ourselves God and create our own truth? The biggest problem with postmodernism and people who adopt that perspective in lots of areas of life, it fails straight away. Creating your own truth is garbage nonsense because it doesn't work. And it causes pain and suffering. You end up with a life of meaninglessness and fantasy and constant conflict when you bump into other people creating their own truth and hopelessness. Or will we submit to the one who is absolute truth, the king of truth, who loves us and gave himself for us so that we might know eternity and share in his reign and his life and his truth forever? Let me pray. Father, forgive us when we create our own realities, when we reject your reign and your king, your son, Jesus. Help us to call him Lord and live with him as Lord and put off lies and deception and the work of the devil, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.